I uh, felt the Lord put on my heart uh, a few things, but they're not going to be a lot of moments till the end of the year to share from the front. Maurice has got a word building for next week. The week after that, we want to do something social, maybe end with a bri. The week after that, it's mid-December. So I've probably got two more opportunities to share my heart into the congregation. And um, besides the week in the weeks as well, of course. But something that he's put on my heart for us, uh, for just this moment. And last night was incredible. I felt like the teaching is going to really uh, need to marinate into us. And uh, <clears throat> for those who missed it, what I'm going to do is get a recording and organize to be in one of our homes just to marinate some more over the teaching. It's not going to be put live. The one that Andrew did in Oxygen Life, <clears throat> excuse me, in Port Elizabeth is not live. So I was able to listen to that one and last night's one live just for myself. But we're not going to be able to, it's not going to be on YouTube or on podcasts or anything. So what we'll do for those guys that really couldn't get there is we'll organize our home and sit together and just uh, work through it. Because it was an incredible now word, looking at what's happening in the world and rooting us so much into the scriptures. And it's a vital word for us as a congregation, the eclectic ones who meet in this part of the world, who have people of all walks of life and all backgrounds. And to be, I think, so full with joy is that we have uh, people here from all backgrounds. And God has placed us together very strategically to reach every person in our neighborhood. Okay? And uh, <clears throat> the Lord said that I want you to teach my people to fight. So there are many great movies, and you all have a great movie line. One of my favorites is when that man in a skirt with a blue paint on his face and a ponytail passed his bum and boots, and he says, they ask him where he's going, and he says, I'm going to pick a fight because I like to fight. You wouldn't believe it, but I really... I enjoy a good fight. Question is, what kind of a fight? Okay? Where the fighters in here? I know these guys are up all hours of the morning watching fighting on TV. Come on, we saw you on Sunday. Come on. But in us, in us, there is a desire to fight, to be victorious, to take mountains, to, to, to take up the challenge. And then God gets hold of our hearts and he gives us his fight, to fight. And the battle that I want to talk about is a battle of endurance until the end. Okay? If I say one thing today, I want to say this, is that Jesus took hold of you and I first. He took hold of us. When we were saved, he got hold of us. He still got hold of us. And for a reason, he took hold of us to reach an eternal prize to be victorious in a race, an endurance race, took hold of us for that reason. Paul writes about that in Philippians. He took hold of you and I to take us through an endurance race with an end in sight. And it's coming very, very fast to the end. It's more than in sight. It's upon us. So three things. If you give it a title, teach my people to fight. Why must we fight? Then how must we fight? And for what must we fight? Hopefully we can answer those questions 
this morning. I was once asked, Taryn was asked with me, I don't know if you remember, what would you like to be on your tombstone one day? It was back then where you thought about tombstones, uh, a little bit outdated now, I think, modern society, but I, at the time I, I didn't know. It was actually sitting in Andrew's lounge talking to us about the call of God in our lives for eldership. What would you like on your, to be written on your tombstone? I, was, I don't know, my name, date. Maybe just a witness to many. It was always on our heart. We're saved out of the world. Uh, had a heart for all those people that weren't that Jesus hadn't yet taken hold of, but He'd taken hold of me. So everything I, might, I wanted to be remembered, a witness, a witness to many, or that something of the tombstone would read, "The Lord used me to bring many into eternity." Like they're with me from that life that would come on the journey. God's been faithful to some of those dreams, but I think if you asked me now. Uh, 14 years later, when that question was asked, uh, I would say probably what I'd like written is out of Matthew 24, verse 13, along the lines of the one who endures to the end will be saved. I love that scripture. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And so right now, you and I are living in salvation. We have it. But the end is coming. And on that day, when we stand before him, it's going to be a fearful and beautiful and loving moment where we meet our Lord face to face. And when we get to the end, the one who endures to the end will be saved. And that goes for every single one of us. And then there was a prophecy spoken over us in the early years of this congregation that God had given us sprinters to run with us, year one. And the word came very strongly that, Neil... God is going to use you and Taryn specifically and those around you to train sprinters to learn how to run endurance races. I know we've got some enduro athletes here. And it is so important because to be able to sprint is wonderful. But you try and sprint in an endurance race and what happens? Make it to the end. Unless you're someone very special. But the road marked out for us in the kingdom is an endurance race. And things are going to come. We're going to look at them. We've had things come at us in the six years of leading a congregation that we've never had come at us in our whole life. It's like two lives, the one before (laughs) and the one after. Which one would I prefer? The easy one? No. The more challenging one? The endurance rate rose? Yes. Because it hotted up. It it heated up. became a road of endurance, but a beautiful, beautiful road. So turn with me if you want to, in your Bibles or your phones, to Matthew 24. We're going to look at Matthew 24 from verse 3 to 14. Excuse me. And you can read with me. As he sat, okay, I'm going to read from NRV. This is probably NRV, uh, old one, new one. It can be slightly different. As he, Jesus, sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place. But the end is not yet, for nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation, and put you to death. You will become hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another 
and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. There's my tombstone. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the world as a testimony to all nations. Then the end will come. God has in mind, verse 14, all nations. And this gospel of the kingdom of God will be proclaimed. God is in control of his message getting out. Yes, he needs you and I. We're his messengers. But he is over and above all things. And you know what? We get so, Lord, I want to I show you how, how comfortable he is in being both eager or zealous, passionate, and patient at the same time. <clears throat> you can turn that scripture off. Um, listen to this. He's so capable of holding two, what seemed two, I think it's a good paradox, right? Holding two things in tension that seem on complete opposites. Can you be eager and patient at the same time? Can our children be eager and patient at the same time? <laughs> Mine can't. They either, they make sure, are they ever, they are patient sometimes. But they're always eager and they're eager and they're eager. But listen to Romans 8, 22 and 25. Paul writes, We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. So on the one hand here, we can be so eagerly, so eagerly expecting our bodies, our new bodies, our glorified bodies, eternity with Jesus. We should be eager. We should be longing for his coming and longing for that day more and more as we see prophecies unfold. The times of this age are coming to a close. That's clear throughout scripture. But at the same time, because we have hope as an anchor, we can be the most patient ones. Where everyone runs around fretting. Patiently we may wait, but on the one side, so eager for him to return. And he's a patient guy. He's patient with this world. We are so impatient. We just want him to sort out the mess, deal with the, the evil, like save everybody now, like before it's too late. And he's the Lord of heaven and earth. He's seen the beginning from the end, which is another beautiful truth to try and... He's seen the big, he knew how this would work out. He knew what we'd be seeing today. He knew. And he's okay. He's God, and he's going to bring us into a place where we realize our hope, and a realization of something is what, when we step in, this is what we've hoped for, your return, Lord Jesus. So quickly, let's, let's go through. The disciples wanted to know already then, when will this happen, Jesus? <laughs> no patience. <clears throat> Can we relate? He says, don't be alarmed by what we see around us. Who's been alarmed by what we've seen around us in recent weeks? It's alarming. Of course it is. Our natural instinct is to be alarmed. The Lord says to us, do not be alarmed. Expect it. In other words, expect it. And don't be led astray. These are just the beginning of birth pains. Moms would understand. The beginnings of birth pains. Are they painful? Yes. 
When the birth pains really hit, is it worse? Yes. <laughs> I was going to ask Taryn to come and explain what that was like. I'm so glad I did not have to go through the pain of childbirth. I would never make it. Okay? He's made women so strong. My wife is really strong and brave and tough. can't believe what she went through. <laughs> and then the Lord uses that picture to give us an, an impression of what it's going to feel like on the earth. And these are just the beginning. And then the great trouble will come, tribulation. Do you know that we're in store for great trouble? Tribulation means the big trouble or the great trouble. Do you know that we're not removed from that? Do you know that it's our... It's our um, it's our, it's our lot to go through it. It's his plan that we would go through the big trouble. But here's the thing. And I thought especially about God's people, the Jewish people, the Jewish nation that we, we learned about so beautifully last night. Has God, uh, many people would ask, why hasn't the Lord protected them over the years? Well, he's actually preserved them more than protected them. As I sat last night, listen, he is, a, he is the God and Father who preserves his precious people. And I think in our worldly eyes, we can go, but why don't you protect them in these moments throughout history, Lord? Well, he's preserved them. And there's a difference. And he's a good God. And you know what? There will be, there will be so much in this world that one day when we stand before him, we can ask him, why didn't you do that that way, Lord? Why did you do it that way? And one day he's going to graciously, we're going to be able to see as he sees. But in all this, he's preserved the people for himself until that day. And he's preserved you and I by adding us into his family. <laughs> are we there yet? Have we come to a place where you and I, the believers, the, the, the disciples of God have been or are being hated by every nation? We're not there yet. But how close are we? When you see the marches and the rallies going around, this is very close. That We're coming to that time where we're going to be hated in nations because of what we carry. You can see it rising. I think, I think we, we're close to that. And then many will fall away and betray one another. That's in the kingdom of God, in the church, in God's family. Many will betray one another. Many will fall away. Have we seen that in us yet? No. Is it close? Probably. Is it already happening in some circle? Yes, and probably. And then many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. And that's not the love of people outside of God's household. It's the love of many inside his church, in his body. We're going to see love amongst this grow cold. And the link is when lawlessness increases. What is lawlessness? It's, a dis it's, a, it's when we despise authority, when we despise God's order, which has always been and order when the church, when we despise his ordinance and his authority, that's the lawlessness that's going to bring about a cold love and not a warmth to one another any longer inside of his family. He predicts that that's going to happen in his household. May we never be those. May we not be found despising authority, despising his order, despising the nature and the ways of God. And how he builds his family. Because our love will grow cold, according to this. And that will be a sign that he's close. And I don't know about you, but I want my love pumping out 
at boiling point <laughs> for every one of you and the church body all over the world, my brothers and sisters, and all those that he will bring in. Lord, may you keep our love warm. May you keep it familiar. How do we keep our love warm? We need to be familiar with the great lover. Because when, we, when we're familiar with him, our love remains warm. And we are able to have oil in our lamps to overflow. We cannot help ourselves. This is the answer is to stay intimate with him. So this is, this is the what. This is why we must, we must endure. This is why we must fight. Because things are going to become way more challenging. We're going to see things that ordinarily would alarm us. But he says, don't be alarmed when these things happen. So he was preparing his disciples then. And he's preparing his disciples still today through that passage in Matthew. Then number two. Paul steps in in the New Testament. And he calls us to persevere. Um, but he doesn't just say persevere, because then we would leave it up to our own strength. If I said to Mark, just persevere, Mark. And Mark would go away and go, well, I need to muster up the strength in me to persevere, because my brother and friend said, just persevere. But Paul says, persevere in Christ Jesus. There's a really big difference. And if you turn with me to Philippians 3, we'll jump through uh, verses 10 to 14. And uh, let's go through 10 to 14 together. I want, you, I want to know Christ, Paul says. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and to somehow attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all of this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. So if we can keep up 10 and 11, I want us to quickly see there were four desires that I pick up in Paul's heart. Desires, these had taken root. These were desires that he, had, he was owning before teaching us. And they were these in verse 10 and 11. I want to know Christ. The first desire is to be in relationship. We must desire to constantly be in relationship with the great lover of our souls. Warm love. We will not grow cold if we continue in that. Number two, four desires. Number two, he said to know the power of, the resurrection, of his resurrection. The first one, Paul desires relationship. Two, Experience the life that Jesus gives us, his resurrection. There's an experience of his resurrected life that Paul desires for us, for himself and for us, to experience that life. Number three, he says, I want to participate in Jesus' sufferings, to become like him even in his death. Like, oh, what is that third desire, Paul? What's that one all about? Paul wants us and himself and us to relate to Christ's walk of Suffering. If that hasn't come, it will come. Because there's something in the heart of God for us to discover in that. And fourth, and so somehow, Paul writes, attaining to the resurrection from the dead. The fourth one is the assurance to assure our eternal salvation. So the first one is Paul's desires relationship, then experience the life that Jesus gives us. Three, 
to relate to his walk of suffering, and four, to ensure our eternal salvation, to ensure, to attain. And he calls this a mystery, somehow in the mystery, to attain to the salvation that we have. Do we desire the same things this morning as Paul? Are these our life ambitions now? Sometimes I I ask myself and I ask friends around me (laughs) to relate to this walk of suffering, point three. If this is Paul's heart for us, how does that affect every area of our life when we think about where we're going to live, where we're going to work, whether we're going to take that job offer or career change or even even if we're going to take the promotion, <laughs> when we consider family, when we consider marriage, when we consider children, when we, when we weigh up life's big decisions on this side of eternity, how often do we consider Paul's desires, specifically that one of like, what, it, what would it look like for me to walk a road of suffering? Maybe it's being content where I am and saying, saying no and not saying yes to the things that often an open door looks like it's from the Lord, is it? Does he want us to perhaps weigh up these things more carefully? Say, Lord, what is it that you have for me? What does it look like to become like you in your death? Is the question I have. Well, in Jesus dying on the cross, he did one thing. The thread through his life was deny himself and take the humble road and take the road of because he could have fought for himself. He could have toppled them over that were taking him to the cross. But not my will, but my father's will. He laid down his will and he laid down his life. And he suffered for our sake. And he went to his death. And he showed us a way to live that is absolutely beautiful. So, Father, what is your will for my life? Do I, When I'm faced with this decision or this opportunity... When I'm faced with the big decisions of this life, my will says this, but Father, what is your will? And sometimes, I'm bold enough to say, his will will be one that seems like a little bit more of a road of suffering and death for me and for you. And that's okay, because it was his desire for us to experience that. And we see it in Paul's point three of his four, that his desire is that we would know the walk of suffering, the walk of death, the walk of denial, the walk... It's very much part of our experience, okay? And then, verses 12 to 14 of this beautiful scripture, Paul also had four goals for himself and for us. And the first goal, he said in verse 12, 13, not that I've already obtained all of this. What is the all of this? It's the four points above. Those desires that Paul wrote about. Not that I've obtained it. So Paul knew that he was not there yet. He's not a complete package Not that I've obtained all of this, already obtained all of this, but, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that, which Christ Jesus took hold of me. I love that. Here's the thing. Christ Jesus first took hold of Paul, and he first took hold of us. And then Paul says, I take hold of him. It's like he's the initiator. You know, I... Imagine if our walk was, I just, I've got to keep taking hold of this perfect God. Now, he's already taken hold of you and I. 
And when we get that Christ Jesus has already taken hold of me, I press on. It, that road of endurance, the very thing that I feel like the Lord wants us to learn how to fight, how to be people of endurance and perseverance. Whatever we go through, perseverance is our roadmap. And to build endurance into us and teach us to fight is God's heart for us. But here's the thing. He first took hold of you. So he's got hold of you. So when he calls you into that journey, all we need to do is say, oh, I'll take hold of you as well. Okay, I'm holding on like Paul did. And he keeps pressing on. Paul is a life marked with endurance. He's, a, he's, a, he's, a, he's an absolute, he's the imitator of Christ. He got it. And he lived it. And then he says to every believer after him, you need to live it too. Jesus did the initiating. We follow. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, I forget what's behind. And I strain towards what is ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God's called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And here's the beautiful thing. If you, you see, the key is forgetting what's behind. If you want to take hold of Jesus, who's already taken hold of you, if you want to live a life of victory, you have to forget what's behind. Paul forget what's behind. His eyes were only for the now and what's to come. And I love, I love that. It's such a picture of a victorious Christian life. Is the past is the only thing that the enemy can throw at us, and he does, doesn't he? Dredging up the past. Bringing shame, bringing guilt, reminding you of. You haven't walked through that and you're still in that. It's nonsense. Forgetting the past, Paul says, and straining on towards the goal. What is the goal? It's Jesus. Being in Christ Jesus. God's called us to win a prize at the end of a road called endurance. Endurance road. Okay. Humility says, I'm not there yet. Paul was not there yet. <laughs> and Paul had everything. He said, I'm not there yet. Humble approach. Forgetting yesterday is vital. It includes forgiveness. Forgetting the past includes forgiveness. And there's a key there for us. Straining ahead and pressing on towards the goal. So what has called us? What has God called us to? He's called us to this road. Paul also gives us a key in Romans 8. It's the last scripture. You can, you can turn to this portion as well. Romans 8, from, uh, Romans 8 from verse 34 to 39. Just those five verses. Paul says a beautiful thing to us. He says that Jesus Christ, who had died, more than that, who was also raised to life, is now at the right hand of the Father. Doing what? Yeah, interceding for us. There it is. So when you're in an endurance race and you've got someone alongside you pulling you through, that's the only way you make to the end of that race here on earth. You know what, in the spiritual sense of the, of the road and the race, it's the same thing. We make it to the end because we have a high priest interceding and praying for us constantly. Do we realize that when we want to give up, when we feel like we can't, do we realize that at that point we step into Christ Jesus, we find strength and grace in him, and we realize, oh, you're already praying for us. You're standing with the Father, and you're interceding. You're championing me. You're alongside me. You're, my, you're like my water boy, but so much more. You're giving oil into my lamp. 
You're putting oil into me. You're sustaining me. You're calling me. You're saying, press on. You're saying, he's praying, forget the past. Bring them into the more. He's the God of victory. And he has victory in store for each of us. Hey, isn't it beautiful that we're not alone? That we can lean into Jesus who is praying for us. He's praying for you as an individual. You that he's called. You that he's taken hold of. That he's given salvation to. He's praying for you. He knows you. He knows where you're going to be weak. <laughs> he knows when you're going to need help. He's already ahead of us in the race. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Verse 35. Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? It's Paul writing. As it's written, for your sake we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Paul quoting from the Old Testament. Verse 37. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life Neither angels nor demons, neither the, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. That is in Christ Jesus. So the love of God is there and available, but it's in Christ Jesus. It's when we learn that he is fighting for us, that we step into him, that we abide, and we stay in Christ Jesus. There's a key at the end. So just to hover right at the end of verse 39, the key is in Christ Jesus. Then we, nothing can separate us. When we're in him, nothing can separate us. When we know that we're in him, that we're secured in him, in his love. But look what Paul went through in verse 35. He asked the question, well, what can separate us from the love of Christ? And he says, should trouble or hardship? He's been through that. Anyone been through that? He's also been through Persecution, famine, nakedness, shipwrecked, stoned, nearly dead, danger or sword, been through that. This was Paul's journey. He'd been through all of that in his road of endurance, yet still realizing nothing could separate him from the love of Christ. So what's, what's our journey? What does it look like for us in these, in these last days of the age? Because we will. As Jesus walked, and as Paul and many others, we will face hardship. We will face persecution. In some ways, it's been in our society already. In some ways. Maybe not in the same way as in some nations already in this world. Physical persecution, people walking in here and tearing you apart because of what you believe. We're not there yet. But in a subtle way in our society, it's already coming. What about famine or nakedness? We learn to be content with what we have, with much. What if we have nothing one day? What if there's famine for us? What if there's nakedness? What if we don't have? Will we be content in that place? Well, Paul was, and he says we can be. If that's part of the road of endurance, we can have victory even in that place. Why? Because of the love of God. Because of his warm, familiar love for us. And If we find ourselves in him, we will endure, even that, even persecution, even danger or sword. Now, I don't need to spend too much time on those words, even danger or sword. He went through it. Our Bible is littered with it. Our present day is seeing 
danger and sword as we speak in the nations of the world. How do you endure danger and sword? In Christ Jesus. No matter what, Lord. I know your warm, familiar love. I can't grow cold. My oil, my oil is overflowing. My lamp is full because of you. So therefore, whatever this endurance race looks like, eyes on the prize. I know what the goal is. I'm focused. Yesterday, the past doesn't even come into the picture. I'm like Paul. I'm like you, Jesus. This is what he has for you and I. And he wants to teach us how to live this way and how to fight. There's many things that he's prophesied over you and I in this congregation. As you sit here, these are the promises of God over us that we would be a people of high quality, depth, oil-rich deposits, wells of refreshing water for others to drink. Now, for us to realize the prophetic, we must know what it is, and on our road, we need to contend for it. We trust that the Lord is doing it. If he says it, he will do it. But to contend for what he has for us. And I believe that for us to be a people of high export quality that will go and bless nations, nations that are amongst us and nations that are far, nations that come through our door because many do because of where we are positioned. And they come and they go sometimes. Even Malawi, the nation is with us for a short bit. It happens all the time. For us to be those people, we need to take hold of what the prophetic promises are. And I'm going to do a teaching on that. I'm going to actually spend some time, especially for our new folk, and just go through all the prophecies over the, over the years and what we feel the Lord has really highlighted and spoken into and what he'd like us to contend for as a people. That's going to be a beautiful time, so don't miss that. Um, it's going to be very special. And just in that, you know, when, when we get into that time, you will see that if we don't learn to endure and fight and live from a place of victory, uh, that we will miss those promises because they're very much linked. Um, because he has more in store for each of us uh, in, a, in a very beautiful way.